you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm kind of that type A in the sense of just wanting to push and do more and produce and produce and produce. I have a hard time sitting still. Um, but I would say once I had finished my degree, you know, just, just focusing on ballet is where I really started to find that balance. Welcome to the Photo Gregor podcast. I'm Greg Baird, your host. Today, I'm here with Chelsea Kiefer, soloist with Ballet West. Chelsea Kiefer is a soloist at Ballet West. She is driven. She's got a lot of goals and a lot of energy. She's the type of person you want to be around, and I hope you feel that today in the podcast. Um, Please welcome today, Chelsea Kiefer. Welcome to my podcast, Chelsea. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. So uh, let's just get right into it. What makes you tick? What is what are you all about? For me, I would say I'm all about understanding the human experience, the mental game, the physical game. Um, I'm constantly trying to discover more and more about who I am as an individual and how I am in this world and this environment. And so how does that connect to the daily activities you do? I mean, like when you're eating lunch, is that what you're thinking about? What connects the things you do to that to that uh, attitude? Uh, I, I mean, it's definitely more of the physicality. Um, I start my days with meditation every morning, um, just trying to kind of reset myself. If I kind of wake up grumpy, um, meditation is the first thing that I'll usually jump right into just to help me know that like, okay, today's a new day and I'm going to start over. Um, when it comes to food, um, you know, I'm not much of a cook, (laughs) but I, I do make it a priority because I know when I am functioning at my best is when I have had enough food in my system to keep me functioning at my best. Um, but where I relate to that really is with physicality, cross-training, dancing, um, which, you know, has not been at the forefront of my routine lately because of the pandemic. Um, but it's been great challenging myself with hikes and running instead. Well, good. Um, speaking of the pandemic, how did that throw your world into chaos? I know it did everybody's, but what, what specifically for you? Right. Um, I really, it was really hard for me to not be dancing seven and a half hours a day. Um, seven and a half. I didn't seven and a half is typically our rehearsal day and we dance about five days a week. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a big shift. I mean, we had to cancel, cancel two productions, um, one in April, one in May, and then we were hoping maybe to do some in June and then had to cancel that hopefully in August had to cancel that. And, you know, I just have learned that it has made me much more adaptable. Um, it has been a very major challenge trying to dance in my apartment. Um, but it's it's definitely been hard. I mean, I there's been levels of depression and there's been days where I just want to sit and do nothing. But at the same time, I find that, you know, professional athlete mentality of constantly feeling the need to produce or do something to, in a way, feel valid. Um, I mean, we are such physical beings. And so not having that seven and a half hours of day packed with my brain being focused on movement or on learning choreography was a major challenge, um, but it has forced me to get outside, to 
um, actually apply for a few different things, and I will be speaking on the TEDx stage in September. So that congratulations! Is a thing, <laughs> thank you. Um, so yeah, it's definitely forced me to push those other hobbies within myself that um, I've maybe held back on, which I'm excited to be stepping into. That's awesome. So let me ask you this. Um, you mentioned um, being an athlete. Do you consider yourself an, a professional athlete? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. What do you say to those who don't? Um, I, I think they don't have any knowledge about the <laughs> ballet industry and what it takes to be a ballerina. <laughs> uh there's a lot of truth there's a lot of truth in that i have uh uh seen a lot of you do some pretty incredible things it's pretty cool um you started out (laughs) as an athlete and a dancer uh if i recall from your podcast is that is that true (laughs) i was i was a uh, uh power tumbler which is like like gymnastics but you don't have the um uneven bars or the pommel horse or like any of that type of stuff it's more of like the long mat where you do a bunch of you know randolph back handspring back handspring backflip full twist you know like a bunch of those things and then you do a trampoline routine and then they have the double mini which is like that half arc trampoline and i did that up until i was about 12 and then i chose ballet over tumbling so what translates from power tumbling into ballet and what doesn't like what, what surprises you? Um, you know, I think what translates for me is just the strength behind both, um, how much is needed for both. I definitely think that power tumbling really forced me to, or actually made me a better jumper in ballet, made me have a better push within my legs and strength within my legs. Um, I would say that it did not teach me artistry, (laughs) which, you know, I definitely learned through ballet and, you know, having to discover that there's a story that you're telling behind what you're doing, where in power tumbling, it's just like very military, like, let's, you know, let's do this as perfect as we can with no really any emotion behind it. So what's your vertical jump? My vertical jump? <laughs> I have no idea. That's a good question, though. Um, let's say... The world needs to know, Chelsea. <laughs> I'm going to go with six feet. <laughs> six feet? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What, what's a typical vertical jump? Well, that's if you, reach, if you reach up to your highest reaching point on a wall, and then you reach up and uh-huh. jump at the highest point you can jump. touch on the wall. That's, right. that's the, dif- the difference is your vertical jump. And... And somebody in your condition, okay. uh, your size, probably a good athlete would be in the 30 range. Uh, uh, I would I would bet that you're in the 24 to 30 range, having seen you dance. Okay. But, all right. you know, you never, you never know. I also know some dancers who don't jump very well at all. So it's just, you know, your strengths are your strengths. Yeah. Um, I was <laughs> just hoping to maybe get some of the athletes that are listening to uh, maybe relate to how much physicality yeah. you actually work with every day. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's some days, you know, it depends on our season, to be honest. What Sometimes we'll be working on seven different productions at once or at least maybe not seven different productions, but I'll be learning seven roles, which may be three ballets with seven roles within that. And so um, I think the physicality within that is 
being able to know the choreography in the sense of maybe you're doing a 45 minute ballet or a three act ballet um, or, you know, a contemporary piece. And you've got a few different parts to learn within that. And so sometimes you'll maybe learning those three different productions in one to two weeks. And that's seven different roles within those three different productions. And the choreography could be completely different within that. Right. And so it's it's more of the memory game, but then also the physicality behind it and the emotional approach to the role. So explain that to people. I, I know from seeing the ballet that I'll go see a show yeah. and then I might see the same show on a different night and everybody's doing different roles. Why do they shuffle it right. around like that? Help, help us understand the ballet world a little bit. Yeah. So it. Yeah, so I think the main reason a lot of us, at least demi-soloists and above, will switch out in roles is to continue to give us opportunity. Um, so we are, it also helps with us staying creative in those roles. So, you know, we're not getting bored of doing the same thing every night. Um, and it also may give op- just new opportunity to somebody who's new in the company or new to being a demi-soloist or new to being a soloist. And so when you're given like say for Swan Lake for example I think I had four parts I did the four little swans I did the princesses I did um uh Neapolitan and then I also understudied Odette Nodile the lead and so the lead um Odette Nodile is in all four acts of the ballet and um you're jumping from the white swan who is something you know, very elegant and soft and pure and just gentle and shy. And then the black swan in the next act is completely opposite, just aggressive and sensual. Um, And then you go back to being the white swan. But, you know, say for me, on a typical night of my shows, I would do the four little swans and then come to the second act, I would be doing... um, Neapolitan, which, you know, you're doing a tambourine dance and you have this tambourine, which is in your hand, you're dancing with it, you have to throw it and hope the kid across the stage catches it. (laughs) And then you have to keep dancing with a partner. And then after that act, you go back to being a little swan and you have to stand on stage during the whole white swan parada. And when you're in the court of ballet or doing one of the four little swans or one of the big swans, when you're on stage and standing there, you are standing on one foot typically for more than five to seven minutes. And you have just done something so like cardio based to where you're jumping constantly. And then all of a sudden you have to settle and stand still for seven minutes and not move. Your foot in your point shoe is already crammed into that point shoe. And then it's cramping and then it's cramping up your leg. You feel literally your heel bone down into the floor that you're standing on. And then you're having to like calm down your breath and not look like you're breathing heavily on stage while there's an elegant potata happening. So yeah, it's really, it's the biggest mental challenge to be, I would say having to do three different roles in one night. Um, Cause you have to constantly switch and play a different character, have a different quality to your movement. So you may be doing something really fast. And so you're maybe more like a soccer player. 
And then all of a sudden you're having to do something slow and maybe you're more like, I don't know, a diver. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I see that too. And I, can I just say not as part of the interview, I just want to say, Holy crap. The swans were gorgeous. The swan, like that was a beautiful production. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> that made me yeah, so happy as a, as a fan. Um, so um, I was curious, um, uh, stepping away from ballet for a moment, um, uh, you have a, a, an interesting relationship with your schooling, long-term schooling. Uh, explain why mm-hmm. you chose the route you did and help us understand um, where you want to go with your schooling. And I know, I think I, think I know you're not done yet, um, but help us understand that. No, I'm done. Oh, you're done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I actually graduated from high school early. I, I got my GED actually. I graduated when I was 16 and I applied for the university of Utah and I was able to get into their dance program. And that was the whole reason I applied at such a young age was just because I was ready to have a more serious training, um, that was, you know, all day long. And so, um, I started at the University of Utah at 16 and I was there for two years. And then I got my first job dancing at the Tulsa Ballet and I'd kind of taken a backseat from school. Um, and I, and at that point of becoming a professional dancer, I just was like, I don't know if I want to keep working on a degree that I'm already a professional in. It just didn't feel fitting to me. And so I had kind of been talking with my mom. I had gotten my yoga certification when I was 18, I got a 200 hour yoga certification from Kripalu in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And I had spent a month there and I just was really loving the whole psychology and kind of relationship with yourself um, when I went through that training. And then I had taught profusely when I was still living in Tulsa. And that had kind of kickstarted me into this psychology and human development understanding. And um, so when I came back, to Salt Lake after living in Tulsa for three years is where I landed on the human development degree. And one of the main reasons I chose it was because it was offered all online and it was going to allow me to keep dancing full time um, and just finish my degree without having any stipulations with the university. I mean, I had thought about going back to the dance program, but it was just like they wanted me there to, you know, be participating when I was just like, can you not see that I'm already a professional? Like, why do I have to be here? You know, this just doesn't make any sense to me. For sure. So, yeah. So I landed on the human development degree and I focused a lot on, um, social, the socioeconomic system, um, and childhood environments. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting degree. A lot of family related stuff, studied family violence. Um, and it's, it's just been something that, um, I really like to tie into, you know, what I've learned within yoga and then what, you know, I see within a lot of kids that become athletes and, you know, or stick within the ballet industry. It's like, you know, you have to make such a commitment and in a way sports, are an escape from your family and and it's not maybe your family's great maybe they provide amazing things for you which my family definitely did but i was just somebody that just really wanted to be by myself in the studio working hard and just trying to discover more and more about myself but for some kids it may not be that you know maybe maybe sports or ballet or 
and art is an escape for them. And so that's just kind of something that I've been working on in a way is just kind of tying all of that together and trying to get people to understand more of their um, environments and how a lot of things are not in our control. <laughs> you know, what we are in control of is, a, is our minds and our bodies. I, it's really important for kids and for people right now to just know that what we are in control of is, is, is our minds and our bodies. And that's really all we can control. What do you want to do with that long term? I mean, I know dance is a, I hope to see you dancing for the next couple of decades, but at some point dance is not a forever career. Um, so, yeah. so mm -hmm. how do you hope to transition into human development or what's next? I mean, hopefully you don't have to think right. about that yet. Right. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. Um, I mean, it's definitely crossed my mind. Um, I've been working on a book idea, so that's something that's coming in the next year or two. It's definitely a tiny seed in my brain right now. Um, but I, I think long term, I want to keep teaching. I would love to own my own business. I've always wanted to create my own retreat center that provides for really everybody. Um, I would love it to be have a massive garden and for it to have an after-school program for kids to learn how to garden and to connect with nature a little bit more. I'd love for it to, you know, work with the elderly and keep them active in their bodies. Um, I'd love to have a music studio so musicians could, you know, get away and record their albums. Um, and then, you know, keep providing performances. I would love to, you know, have my own nonprofit. I would love to you know, be on a board of different and just, you know, different companies and then um, create an outdoor stage and just bring in more and more amazing shows that can be exposed. Uh, maybe you could raise your standard just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I know they're like way up here. <laughs> Listen, I hope you accomplish uh, half of that or all of that. That would be fantastic. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah. So tell me about your podcast. So I started mm -hmm. this podcast because I want to highlight great people who are doing great things. And um, mm -hmm. listening to your podcast inspired me to actually do it. I've been thinking about it for like a year and a half. And recently I listened to mm -hmm. your episode three, your introduction to Chelsea Kiefer podcast. What's your goal for your podcast? Who, who, who mm -hmm. are the people you want on there? What are, what are you passionate about? What do you want? What do you think um, your audience wants to hear about? Tell me about the podcast. Mm, totally. Yeah. So when I first started the podcast, it was very much about me just being able to have more intimate conversations and just for me to step into my own voice a little bit more. I think it's really hard for dancers to actually speak up because we're typically speaking through our bodies. You know, we're always emoting through physicality. And so I, I wanted to be able to have a very strong balance between the two. And so that was my, you know, big push for starting the podcast was to just have a voice and understand my own voice a little bit more. Um, it was very much about any artist coming forward, any athlete, any author, any yogi, um, anybody who has a story to come forward, share something vulnerable and to, you know, share to the audience that like, Hey, you're not alone in this. This is something that happened to me. And this is what has kept me going. This is what has kept me resilient. 
Um, and it was, you know, a year focused on vulnerability and emotions. And I had some really amazing guests on, and I've had some pretty heavy personal episodes that I've cried on. And, you know, it had forced me to kind of question my authenticity, but I also really loved that I felt strong enough to share something that vulnerable. Um, and so I think I want to keep doing that with the podcast. I definitely have I've taken a break from it um, just because I've got some more things coming up and I need to focus on them. But, um, you know, I'm looking at shifting the podcast in different directions kind of every year. Like I'd love to bring more humility into it, but still keep that same focus on artists and individuals. I think everybody is an artist in their own way. You don't have to be you know, a painter or a musician or a dancer, I think, um, an athlete is an artist, you know? Well, I, I can say as a fan of all things talk radio and that you do a good job and it is very engaging. I, I, um, it seems like you, you know, you're on your first, your first, second, third episode that that was not your first time at the rodeo, you know? So I, I want to compliment <laughs> you on that. Where can people find your podcast? Um, it is on Spotify and iTunes. And it's called? And it's just the, Ch it's called the Chelsea Keeper Podcast. The Chelsea Keeper <laughs> Podcast. So uh, definitely encourage you to look that up. How about some quick questions for you? Let's do it. Okay. Who inspires you right now and why? Ooh, um, that's a good question. Glennon Doyle. Explain. Glennon Doyle is an author. Um, she had written Love Warrior. She also has a nonprofit organization called Together Rising. And I'm just finished reading, or I'm close to finishing her book, Untamed. Um, and she's just a badass. I mean, she, <laughs> um, she's just a really, you know, someone that is very much an introvert, but is all about pushing women to be vocal and to just be resilient and to stand up for themselves and just for everyone to, you know, recognize their language, hold themselves accountable, recognize their emotions, hold themselves accountable within those emotions and just keep moving forward. Um, she talks about a lot of great things in this book untamed that I've been reading and I'm really inspired by her nonprofit um, with the focus around women, LGBTQ community, and um, yeah. Excellent. Another quick question. What else are you reading? I was, that was my second question. What are you reading? But what else <laughs> might you be reading? Yeah, um, I've been reading, I started A Walk Into the Woods by, um, I can't see his name, but A Walk Into the Woods. And then I've also been reading Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman, who has been helping me with my podcast or not my podcast with my TEDx. His writing has been helping. Oh, that's all. I can't wait for that, by the way. Uh, another quick question. What are you studying or learning right now? What's, what's, what's driving Ooh. you to, to increase this, this part of your brain? <laughs> well, I was practicing the piano. I picked it up. I had not played the, I played the piano maybe like three lessons when I was like seven or eight. And then I gave it up. And so once quarantine had started, I was like, okay, grab the piano, um, which I've not done a very good job, but it's been, it's been, you know, working my brain <laughs> and we'll see if it keeps going. Excellent. Good answer. What, uh, so there's the you now and there's the you of the future, which I assume would be the best version of you. What is the best version of you? Ooh, 
That's a good question. Um, I would say the the best version of me is someone that is just um really supporting the community, supporting myself financially and just continuing to challenge everybody's authenticity. Excellent. So, what's your biggest holy crap moment on stage? Ooh, this past year actually. All right, I can't um, wait. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, So it was actually my dress rehearsal for Sugar Plum Fairy. And it was a school performance at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I was, I had done my pas de deux with my partner, Alex. It was really great, you know, dress rehearsal. And he did his variation and I walked out to start my variation. And I go to do the first few steps with the music. The music cuts out. It cut out at least five to eight times. It was it was insane. I kept starting the variation and then it would play maybe eight counts and then I would have to go back and start over because the music would cut out and it happened that many times. And my left point shoe had like already kind of given out, like there was no more strength to it. And I still had the entire variation to do, which is like three minutes and 20 seconds. So that was my biggest holy crap moment. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) Uh, so uh, another quick question how do you find balance it sounds like you're engaged in a lot of things what where's your balance coming from uh man it's hard it's you know I'm I'm always I'm kind of that type a in the sense of just wanting to push and do more and produce and produce and produce I have a hard time sitting still um but I would say once I had finished my degree, you know, just, just focusing on ballet is where I really started to find that balance. And I think it's, you know, giving myself the time to sit down and maybe binge Netflix for a few hours uh, or read a book and sit down and, or give myself like a day to just do some, some version of self-care where I'm taking a bath and meditating or I'm journaling or I'm writing. Um, so. Excellent. So uh, another quick question. When did you know you had made it? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, it's interesting. I, I think it depends on, you know, growing up in the Ballet West Academy and then leaving to join the Tulsa Ballet and then coming back. Um, you know, I felt like I had made it at the Tulsa Ballet when I got to perform um, the lead Sylvie Guillaume role in In the Middle Somewhat Elevated, which is a beautiful contemporary piece choreographed by William Forsyth. And I felt I had made it and I was 18 when that had happened. But then, you know, coming back to Bally West, being 27 now, and then getting to do Snow Queen and Sugar Plum was maybe even more because it just had a little bit more of a sentimental value to it. Well, I hope you get to make it a few more times in the next (laughs) few years. Uh, Last question, quick question. What's left to prove? Ooh. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I think personally, um, I think it's getting to perform certain roles, um, when it comes to dancing professionally. Um, I would love to be, you know, Juliet and Romeo and Juliet. I would love to do another Wayne McGregor ballet. I would love to work with Crystal Pite. Um, I would love to do Odette and Odile on Swan Lake. Um, but then when it comes outside of that, I think it's just continuing to be a leader, you know, maybe starting a nonprofit. 
Awesome. Well, Chelsea, I have appreciated you on the program so much. I appreciate you for coming in and doing this with me. Um, I've enjoyed our time and I really hope you enjoyed your time too. Yes, I did. Thank you so much for having me on. Anything else you want your, uh, or my viewers or viewers, anything else you want <laughs> my listeners to know? Um, just keep supporting your artists and your community. I mean, I think we are more relatable than we think we are and we can learn a lot from each other. Uh, I don't think we need to say any more. Chelsea Kiefer, thank you so much. Thank you. So in keeping with our theme today, a lot of people have asked me why I chose dance photography. And the reality is that I didn't choose it at all. Um, my wife back in her day was a pretty competitive track and field athlete. And while she was at the university and while she was competing internationally, we have almost no photos of her. So I bought a camera, a cheapo, and I started shooting. I really enjoyed it. Um, I started shooting other athletes too. They really enjoyed it. And I thought I wanted to be a sports photographer. I was going to shoot for athletes and have the kind of stuff that you would see in sports magazines. Um, turns out that my area is not uh, very populated. And the people that are worth shooting, not, th not that younger people are not, but the, the people that could bring you a following and could make you um, a fixture in the photography world are either NCAA athletes or they're professional athletes. The professional athletes don't need it, and the NCAA athletes have so many restrictions that it became pretty clear pretty quickly that it wasn't going to be a good thing for me to try to make a, a hobby job out of sports photography. So I decided to move into something else. I didn't want to be a wedding photographer or a, or a portrait photographer, although I, I could do those things if I wanted to. I wanted to do something difficult. I wanted to do something that's not easy for everyone else to do. And so I chose movement photography of a different kind. I chose dance. And so I was lucky enough to schedule and book a shoot with a professional dancer at the ballet company. And she was very gracious in um, taking a shot on an unknown photographer and I loved working with her and I found that she was a lot more fun to work with than the athletes. The athletes get impatient. They don't understand the art of it. They don't want to do the same thing over and over. They just want you to capture them doing their thing. And the reality is you can capture them doing their thing but you have to be in the right place at the right time and it doesn't always just work. Um, like when I do sports games, there are so many shots that I throw away because they're just not worth anything. Um, with the dance photography, the dancers are very patient. They understand that it takes a while to set up all the equipment and the camera, and they wait patiently. And then when it's time to shoot, they go um, over and over until we get the shot right. And then they're very critical about the about the way the shot looks because they're professionals. And so I found a joy in it, and I love it. That's why I'm in dance photography. And if you've seen my work, that's probably why you're here uh, for these early episodes of the podcast. If you've seen my work, you can, you, I hope you can see the passion and the drive I have for making great art uh, with, with good artists. And if you look at my Instagram, you'll see that I generally cater to the older and the professional crowd because that's where I want my market to be. At any rate, I love dance photography. I love working with these fine people. Um, I hope you can see in today's podcast that, that uh, I, I'm not interested in them as... as uh, just as dancers, the things they're doing off the dance floor are just as interesting, and I hope you enjoyed this one today. 